Okay, so last week we had a 25-minute teaching, and this week you're in for a long one, <laughs> because we're going to go ahead and get through all 67 verses of Genesis chapter 24 today. So Genesis chapter 24 is where we are, and there's so much good stuff in these verses I'll be teaching for about the next 55 minutes, but uh, it's God's Word, right? So you can never get enough of it. So it's worth every bit of our time. But let's get started. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So evidently what we're seeing here is this was the custom that Abraham was used to. And that is, is that the oldest servant of his house would take on the responsibility of finding a wife for the son of the house. And we're seeing here that Abraham took it very seriously when it came to his son Isaac and who his son would marry. He took that very seriously. It wasn't one of those things where a father just lets happen whatever would happen, right? Today in our society, not many fathers take on this kind of role in their son's lives or in their daughter's lives for that matter. But we get a picture here that Abraham was not a, a hands-off father, okay? He was an involved father. And here he is making sure that one of the biggest events in a man's life was going to be done just right. And to bring this topic into our practical lives today, I believe that a father today does have a tremendous say in who his son or his daughter marries. To me, it's part of the training up a child in the way that they should go, right? For example, a son or a daughter that has been brought up under the principles of the Word of God should never marry a man or a woman that has not been. That's not equally yoked with them, right? A, God, a godly father should counsel his son or counsel his daughter in this matter. There's more to being a father than just working a job and bringing home a paycheck. Now, I'm going to have you mark this page right now, and we're going to turn for a few moments to the, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So all the way toward the back of your Bible, look for the book of 1 Thessalonians and Again, like always, if you find one book that begins with the letter T, they're all together, all the books that begin with the letter T. So we're looking for First Thessalonians. It's a small book. We're going to look at chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Here, the Apostle Paul is um, exhorting the believers in the city of Thessalonica 
about a few different things, but I just want to latch on to something here that the Apostle Paul says and expound on it just a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll start reading down in verse 10. It says, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So what I want to latch on to there in those verses and explain to you is that scripture expresses something to us there in verse 11. And and that is that a father exhorts and comforts his children. Do you see that there? A father exhorts and comforts his children. Now that word exhort there in verse 11 is the Greek word parakaleo, okay? And I want you to, um, I want to read to you here all the explanations for the ways that word, that Greek word parakaleo is used in the New Testament or that word exhort in the English, right? And keep in mind that what we're talking about is the role of a father in a child's life. And the reason I expounded on this is because we looked at how Abraham was involved in this event in his son's life. But that word parakaleo, or exhort any English, as it pertains to the role of a father in the life of a child, that word means to call to one side. So again, this is the role of a father in a child's life. This is is what we get out of that one simple word, exhort. To call to one side, to address, to speak to, which may be done in a way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, to admonish, to beg, entreat, beseech, to strive to appease by entreaty, to console, to encourage, to strengthen by consolation and comfort, to receive consolation and be comforted, to encourage, strengthen, exhorting and comforting, to instruct, to teach. That's, what, that's what's in that word, parakaleo, the Greek word that was originally used there for the word exhort. So these are the things that a child needs from a father to come alongside that child, speak to that child, comfort that child, instruct that child, admonish them, beseech them. And the word beseech, by the way, just means to urgently and fervently ask them to do something. And sometimes that's what it takes to get through to a child, right? You have to urgently and fervently instruct them to do something, right? And and sometimes um, it wears you out, right? It wears you out. Parenting can wear you out when you're doing that, when you're raising up a child and you're exhorting them and you're, you know, you're trying to teach them in the ways of the Lord and point them in the direction of the Lord. It'll wear you out. But a father is also, though, to encourage and to console a child, to strengthen them, right? You've heard the statistics today, right? All you have to do is go to a prison and ask the prisoners, what role did a father play in your life? And most of them will either say they had no father or there was a limited role of a father in their life or there was a bad influence by a father in their life. And you know, right at the top of the list when it comes to what a father teaches their son or their daughter, 
we find there in verse 12 of where we're reading here that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is of the utmost importance that a child be taught this by their father. Now, now of course, I know that there are plenty of single mothers in our society today, right? And for them, they have to step up and play this role. They have to take on this role in the life of their child. And in many cases, there is a father in the home, but he just not, does, does not act out this role that the Bible prescribes for a father to do. So sometimes the mother takes the reins and does that. But I believe that until our children walk down the aisle of holy matrimony or reach an age where they leave our home on their own and go and make a life for themselves, until that day, I believe they are our responsibility to train them, to instruct them, and to, and to point them in the way. And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 24 now, we see that Abraham is playing this kind of role in the life of Isaac all the way up until the time when Isaac will get married. And Abraham is taking it very seriously here, right? He's making sure that his servant that he's going to send out to do this task, he's making sure that this servant understands that he wants a, a very specific wife for his son. Not just anyone will do. So he makes this servant swear with an oath. And then in verse five, the servant has a question. In verse five, it says, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Okay, so for Abraham, there was no going back to where he was or where he came from. And he wanted his son to have no part in that kind of life that was back there either. Uh, look, look what Abraham says here in verse seven. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Okay, so I want to reiterate to you here that Abraham understands something. First of all, that God took him out of one place and brought him to another place. Now, as I apply this to our lives spiritually today, when we come to faith in Christ, we remember that Abraham, as we've read about him up until this point, he's an example of us of how to walk by faith, how to live by faith, right? But when we come to faith in Christ, we are leaving something behind. We leave all to follow Jesus. We're coming out of one way of life and into a whole different way of life, right? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. In saying that, Jesus is just simply explaining that coming to him is a life where old things pass away and all things become new. And I know today that many come to Christ in this way. 
And many people don't. Many people come to Christ and just say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus and, you know, that type of thing, right? And they want their cake and they want to eat it too, right? They, they want to be in the world and they want to live like the world, but they want to say that they are a follower of Jesus, but they're not willing to do as Jesus said and leave all. As we see with Abraham expressing to his servant, my father took me out of there and he gave me a new life. I'm paraphrasing, but he gave me something new here. I don't want my son going back there. I don't want my son living like this. And as we apply this spiritually as fathers and parents and people in our lives today, we've come to Christ and we say, we've left something. I don't want to go back there. I don't want my children to go back there. So I'm going to train them up differently. And you know, as we think about this, right, as we think about Isaac, the son of Abraham, Isaac, being prepared to receive his bride, right? When Jesus comes for his bride, who is the bride of Christ, the Bible describes? It's us, the church, right? She will be a bride that wants to go with him, not a bride that likes it where she is, right? You understand what I'm saying? We, as, as the body of Christ, we're wanting to go and be with Christ. And Abraham's saying, go find the woman that wants to come and be with Isaac, right? And that's the picture that we're getting here of this bride for Isaac, right? Abraham wants this bride for his son to be willing to leave all and to come and be with his son, right? So a whole lot of marital problems today, though, are caused because either the bride or the groom, the husband or the wife, does not leave and cleave, okay? A marriage is a union between one man and one woman, not a man and his mom and his wife, not a man and his mom and the wife, right? Two people are becoming one. You do not marry a family, okay? In-laws can be there to comfort and to support, but they should not interfere in the life decisions of a married couple. That's a holy matrimony. There's something sacred about it when two people come together and are one. And that's the way God has designed it, right? But again, there's, there's a lot of interference that goes on in marriage today, and it's, and it's a cause for a lot of marital problems in our day and age. And again, Abraham wants a wife that's willing to leave and to come to his son. And then in verse 8, and if the woman, Abraham says here, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So Abraham is assuring his servant here that if she doesn't want to come, don't worry about it. But in no way will my son go back to that life that God has called me out of, okay? So verse nine, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this this matter. Now I'll just briefly tell you here that putting the hand under the, the thigh was the custom of that day when you're swearing upon an oath, right? It is said to have come from the tradition that a a child comes from the loins or the thigh of the father. It was an old tradition, and they used that to make an oath. And it was just simply a way of saying, if you don't stick to this deal, my children will come after you. You know, we're making, we're we're signing a deal here. We're making an oath with one another. But 
What I want us to stay focused on here this morning is how we relate all of this, how we relate to all of this as the bride of Christ in this story that we're seeing in Genesis 24. Jesus is the groom, right? He has sent out his servant, the Holy Spirit, into the world today to prepare his bride for the wedding, to call people to come, come to Jesus, right? And we're living in that time right now where whosoever will can come. It's the age of grace. People can come to Jesus today. And, and, and there's still space for repentance and still time to come to Jesus. But the bride must be willing to leave all to follow Jesus. When a person comes to Christ, they're repenting and they're saying, this is all passed away and this has all become new. I'm coming to Jesus now. So keep that in mind as we continue on with this story here. But verse 10 continues and says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. So do you see what's being said there? It took ten camels to carry all that this servant was taking on this trip. It says there that all of Abraham's goods were in this servant's hands, meaning were in his possession right there. Okay, Verse 11, And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So this was just the customary time in that day when the, woman of, when the women of a city would go outside of the city to get water from the well. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well in the Gospel of John chapter 4? Right? She came to the well at an odd hour. In other words, she came at a different time when, from when all the other women came because her life was a shameful life. Right? But this will not be the case with the wife of Isaac. But Abraham's servant has now come to a well outside of the city here, and he's now going to pray. And verse 12 says, Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So the servant is looking and he's seeing the women coming, right? Verse 14, now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So you see, Abraham had sent out his servant, right, we see. But his servant had to rely on God to help him. There were many women coming out to the well at this time, but there was only going to be one woman that was for Isaac, Abraham's son. You see, the servant wasn't a dating site, okay? He wasn't there to say, oh, well, that's a cute one, you know, I'll look her up. I'll hook her up with Isaac, right? And if Isaac doesn't like her, I'll come back and we'll find another one, right? But, you know, that's what many fathers today allow for their sons and daughters to do, right? And it's easy to make that mistake. But if we take the time to just pray 
and we stay the course of faith and we realize that there really is only going to be one spouse for our child and God knows who that one spouse is and if we just stay that course, he'll provide that. It's not easy and we don't always succeed in this life. Sometimes things fail, but God does have a plan. And God's plan never fails. So for the unmarried person, God has one spouse for you. One spouse. That's his plan. That you would marry him, marry her, and stay with them till death does you part. Right? Again, I know we live in a fallen world. Things happen. There's bumps in the road, but it's, this is God's plan we're talking about. But verse 15 continues, and it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. So here's the one for Isaac. It's Rebekah. And her name means captivating. Or it also takes on the meaning of a noose, like a rope tied around the neck of an animal to draw an animal. That's what that name means, uh, captivating or a noose. But this describes the beauty of this woman, Rebecca. It draws you in, okay? And we read here in verse 16, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Now, Let's think again for a moment about the bride of Christ, right? The church, us, right? Those that have been born again, those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Those whom, though their sin was as scarlet, they've been washed white as snow because of the blood of Jesus. In the book of James chapter 1, verse 27, James said that pure and undefiled religion before God included keeping oneself unspotted from the world. That's what James described as what pure religion really is, keeping yourself unspotted from the world. We who have repented of our sin and been born again, we now await a groom in that sense, right? We await for Jesus to come and to get us and to take us home to pull us out of this world, to forever be with him. And while we await that day, we are to remain as Rebecca did, unspotted by the world, to remain pure before the Lord. And in this story here, this servant is now excited and he realizes that he's now may have found the one for Isaac, and verse 17 says, And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a, a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. So Rebecca, she has this pitcher on her shoulder. And we're told that she lets it down and she puts the pitcher into her hands and she gives the man a drink, right? Verse 19, and when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Now, you must understand 
that this, what Rebecca's doing here, was no easy task. Remember, we read back in verse 10 that there was 10 camels with him. So that's a lot of camels to get water for. Rebecca is a great example to us of a person that lives as a diligent servant. She has not yet been taken to her husband here. And in the meantime, she just is a servant person. That's just her nature, right? And this is what Jesus wants for you and me to do until he comes to us. He wants us to be servants, be diligent servants here on this earth. Mark this page. I'll show you a story in the Gospel of John chapter 13. John chapter 13, so in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We'll look for John chapter 13. But it's kind of interesting. I'll just comment on this servant prayed, and exactly what he prayed happened. That this woman came along exactly as he prayed it, it would happen. But John chapter 13, though, talking about being a servant of the Lord, in this chapter, we'll see that what takes place is is the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And looking down at verse 12, the supper is over. Jesus had just finished washing the feet of all of his disciples, including the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. Jesus got up from the table and as a servant did this, washed all of their feet, including the one who would betray him. But verse 12 says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we, as modern-day disciples of Jesus, are to serve one another, to consider other, others as better than ourselves as we live out this time that we have here on the earth. Someday we will be with Jesus, but just as Rebecca was an example of a servant's heart, our Lord wants us to have that same kind of heart. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 24, Rebecca is going, again, she's going to great lengths here to serve this man's needs, this man she does not even know. And the man seems to be amazed by what Rebecca is doing here because it says in verse 21, and the man wondering at her. So in other words, he's just looking at her in an amazing way. Like, But he remains silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So he's like, Hey, Lord, is this, this is you? Is she the one? I mean, is this really the one? Okay. Look at how hard this girl is working. And is she the one for Isaac? Verse 22. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. So 
The servant had gotten his answer. Rebecca was the one, and she received the very valuable jewels from this man. Now, our modern-day example of this would be when a young man goes out and he buys a precious ring for the woman that he wants to be his wife. But there's more to this story. Something has to be done here before this becomes a done deal. And verse 23 tells us that the servant said to Rebekah, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So he had to go talk to the father first, didn't he? He couldn't just take off with the daughter. That would not be appropriate. He had to go talk to the father first. And we have that in our modern day example of marriage. Someone asked the father for the daughter's hand in marriage, for example, right? Verse 24, so she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. So this servant of Abraham here knew that everything was falling into place. And what does he do? He thanks God for it. He bows down and worships the Lord. And he said, verse 27, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So you see, this is pretty amazing here. Because if you look back at verse four in this same chapter here, if you look back at verse four, you'll see where Abraham told his servant to go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. This guy didn't know how to find that. This guy didn't know how to do that. But lo and behold, this servant is amazed that Rebekah just told him who her parents were and they were of Abraham's family. You see, God does indeed work all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. But in this story, we see so much. We see a faithful father in Abraham, a man that took care of his son and he was involved actively in the life of his son. An obedient servant of Abraham, we see as well, going out to do the will of his master and a young woman who has kept herself for the day of her marriage and is an example of a diligent servant. We're seeing all of that in this story. And in verse 28, it says, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. So Rebecca is really excited here, but she doesn't even really know what's going on yet. She doesn't know that she's about to go meet her husband because the servant didn't tell her because he knew that he had to first talk to the father. But the story continues in verse 29. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me that he went to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. 
Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. So pause right there. So you see here that we have a, a household here with Rebecca. Rebecca's family, they're a household of servants. They're all waiting on these people hand and foot, right? They show this man great hospitality here. But Abraham's servant knows that this work is not finished, so he goes on here to explain himself. And he wants to tell them the purpose for him being there, why he came. And starting in verse uh, 35, we're just going to go ahead and, and read and listen to this man tell the story of what has taken place to Rebekah's family. He's going to say in verse 35, The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from the oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God my master, of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go. Behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw from your camels also, or I'll draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking, in my heart there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter of are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So that's all review of everything we already read that happened, but this is just Abraham's servant telling the story to Rebekah's family, okay? 
But after telling the story, he gets to the question there in verse 49. And he wants to know if they will give Rebekah to be the wife of Isaac or not. If the answer was no, then he was willing to just move on. Even though he knew that the Lord had put everything in place, he was not going to just take Rebekah away without following the proper procedures, without giving the proper respect to the family. So if the answer was going to be no, he was going to go away. But he wanted to know what it was. Verse 50, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. So both Laban, Laban is Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, Rebekah's father, they agree that this thing is from the Lord. How could they say anything one way or the other? They can clearly see that this is the work of the Lord. Okay, verse 51, here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. So you see, there's something very important for us to know here. And that is, first of all, that marriage was established by God. And when a man and a woman set out to be married, they need to know that it is the will of the Lord or it's not the will of the Lord. And if it is, everything will fall into place. All the proper channels will be taken and, and everything will fall into place if it's of the Lord. And also the way that they can, one way that they can know is by both of them being servants of the Lord having Jesus as Lord of their life. Because if Jesus is at the center of a man's life, and he is also at the center of a woman's life, and the two of them come together and are both firmly fixed on the fact that in their marriage, they will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, that will be their priority. Then that marriage will be a sure thing till death does not part. Because what God joins together let no man put asunder, okay? The Word of God says that marriage is honorable, right? It also says that he who finds a wife finds something good. And marriage must be treated with great honor and respect. We don't see a lot of that in our society today. The divorce rate is so high. And even amongst Christianity, the divorce rate is so high. Right? But there should be a father, and, and if, if, if not a father, then anyone that will give parental guidance that is involved in the decision-making process of that marriage and has trained that child up in the way that they should go. And each individual that comes to a marriage should be first committed to the Lord God. Now, of course, we know that people get married every day to day without a relationship with the Lord, don't they? And some of these marriages seem to work out just fine. But I'm telling you that there is nothing better than God being the focal point of a marriage. Um, I know that my wife and I will both, without any hesitation, readily admit that if not for the Lord in our marriage, we would have no marriage. We would have divorced within the first two years if not for Jesus Christ being the center and the focal point of our marriage. But instead, we have stayed the course, and we've been able to stay the course thus far because Jesus is Lord, and that's it. 
But let's keep going here. This man got his answer, and, and verse 52 continues, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. So this man is awesome, isn't he? Every time a good thing happens or every time he needs help, he bows down and he worships the Lord. This is how each one of us should live our lives as well. And I bet our marriages would be much better as husband and wife if we would do the same thing. Every time something comes up, let's just bow before the Lord. Let's not keep fighting this out. Let's bow before the Lord. Let's just do this. Let's just go before the Lord. Verse 53, then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and he gave, to, gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. Now, I don't know if I like verse 53 there all that much because the brother and the mother get a gift, but unless I'm missing something, the father doesn't get, doesn't get anything here. What's up with that, right? But I guess if anyone wants to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage, I guess he better be prepared to give her mother something and her brother too, right? You like that? <laughs> it's right here in the scriptures, isn't it? And uh, I'm sure her mother would say amen to that, right? Verse 54, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So mom and the brothers here, even though they had received some gifts, they're having a hard time letting go of Rebecca. But they did at least allow Rebecca to make the choice on her own as to whether she wanted to go. But do you see the faith of Rebecca here? I see faith in what she says when she says, I will go because she had no clue of where she was going or to whom she was going to. And that's a great amount of faith right there. But again, if I tie this to, if I tie this to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, it's the same story, right? We are to leave the world behind. Everything we knew, everything we held dear, we are to drop it and to go to the Lord. Say, I will go. Family may try to tie you down when you come to the Lord. They'll tell you not to become one of those born-again Christians. And they'll call you names like Bible Thumper and Jesus Freak and stuff like that, right? This is the way of the world. But we leave all to come to Jesus. And that is the way that he desires for it to be. And again, a marriage is a union between one man and one woman and, and moms and dads or brothers and sisters need not interfere. Okay, this is the start of a new family of faith. Sure, they will go on, this family will go on to continue to honor their mother and their father that are in the Lord, 
but the two of them must leave and must cleave. But again, we just get a picture of when someone comes to Christ and you just leave it all behind, right? But in a marriage, the woman is the reason that a man will leave and his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And for the woman, she is willing to leave all behind for her husband. Verse 59 says, So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Wow, now that's very prophetic right there. Because, of course, Isaac and Rebekah would go on to have a son they named Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel. And Israel would become a people of thousands and of ten thousands, won't they? And they will also be hated by those that live in the land where they live. And they'll be hated by many people as they have throughout history. That's very prophetic there. But verse 61, then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beir Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So he filled him in on the whole story, right? Verse 67, Then Isaac brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Isaac had still been mourning the death of his mother, Sarah. But now God has blessed him with a wife. A beautiful young woman has come into his life, and it says, and he loved her. That's what verse 67 tells us. He loved her. And that's the key thing, isn't it? A man is to love his wife. And more specifically, a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, isn't he? Like we see in the New Testament. It's a love that would lay his life down. A love that will wash his word, his wife in the word of God. A love that will demonstrate spiritual leadership in the home. A love that will pray with his wife and share the grace of this life with her. A love that will be actively involved in the raising of the children, like we talked about earlier. Again, Rebecca isn't coming to be Isaac's mom. She's coming to be his wife. For a man, a wife is a gift from the Lord, something precious, right? There was an amazement in Adam, wasn't there? When he first saw Eve, he knew that she was unique. And he said, oh, bone of my bone. Okay? And for a husband, a woman will leave all else behind. Did you notice how little of this story that we've read, how little of it was about Isaac? 
but yet it was all for Isaac's sake. Today, Jesus Christ has already given himself for his bride. He's laid down everything. But the story for you and me is all about what we do now to prepare for him. He's ready for us, but are we ready for him? Well, it's real easy to get ready. Rebecca gave us, gave us an example when she simply said those words, I will go. Very simple words, but very powerful words of faith, just saying, yes, I'll go. Okay? And, when, and we come to Christ today simply by faith, don't we? But we first must be willing to leave all else behind. We must be willing to just say, yeah, this is everything I've known. My brother's here, my dad's here, everybody's here. All of this, this is everything I've known. I'm correlating the story with, with Rebecca here, right? She's leaving everything to go to her husband. When we come to Christ, we, we're saying, Jesus, it's all about you now. It's all about you now. I want to serve you with my whole life. But it takes that willingness in our heart to say, I will go. Simple words that Rebecca uttered there. Well, what a wonderful story this is. And I pray that we all take the time to learn from this story and to, to think about it. Uh, there's a lot in here, you know. And, and really, I could have probably broke this up over six weeks and expounded on each little segment of it. But I believe in making you responsible for studying the Word of God yourself and growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word, Lord, for it is awesome, Lord. Every issue of life, Lord, just like we've seen in this servant of Abraham, he bowed down before you every time he needed help, every time he needed direction. And God, as we go through this life, there's so much that we need help in, so much that we need direction in. But you are Lord. You are above all else. And where else can we turn? There's nowhere else we should turn, Lord. But yet, so, it's so easy today in this world to turn to ourselves or, or turn to psychology or whatever it may be, but yet you are Lord. And you desire to be Lord of all, Lord of every aspect of our lives, Lord. The, the big decisions in life as to marriage and all kind of things that happen in life, all the way down to the very small decisions of life, Lord. It's all yours. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And you are God alone. And I pray that each one of us in our hearts today will simply have that kind of faith that just says, I will go. Meaning I will surrender all for the will of the Lord to come unto you and to serve you in this life. We see a great example in Rebecca. We've seen a great example in Abraham and Sarah, Lord, of what a servant is. But ultimately, Lord, you are our greatest example. And you desire us, Lord, to do as you have done, Lord, to be servants. So, Lord, we just acknowledge you in this day and thank you again for the teaching of your word that you have given us. We pray you'd go before us in the week ahead, that your will be done in all things. 
In Jesus' name. Amen.
Father God, again we thank you for your Holy Spirit who comforts us and that we can stay in your embrace, God. And just again, God, I pray that we will surrender even more of our lives to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.